Hello there, LiveWire listeners. Have you seen our lineup for this spring? It's bonkers. I know you are going to want to come to these shows, but I know these shows are going to sell out right away. It's our 15th anniversary. And uh, not to brag, but we've been on sort of a hot streak, which is to say, I think every show or just about every show for the last two seasons has been sold out. So if you want to make sure you get a ticket to the spring season of Livewire, you should head on over to livewireradio.org and sign up for a season pass. You get a ticket for every show. You get a significant discount off of the individual ticket price. And uh, you can rest assured you'll be able to come see us celebrate our 15th anniversary. And if you want to become a member of Livewire, join our League of Extraordinary Listeners, you'll get an even greater discount. And there are all kinds of other perks associated with being a Livewire member. So here's what you should do right now. Go to livewireradio.org. You can see the lineup of guests. You can figure out how to become a member. You can figure out how to buy season passes. And you can figure out how to be a part of Livewire this spring. Livewireradio.org is the place where it's all happening. And we will see you very soon. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We have a splendid radio show in store for you this hour. Uh, We have some really awesome guests. We have Dan Savage coming on the show. He, of course, writes the Savage Love, Sex, and Advice column, and he hosts the podcast, The Savage Lovecast. We also have a writer named Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl coming your way. Uh, Shaughnessy decided to launch out on a project to travel the world and try to find the cure for the hangover, plus hilarious comedy from the comedy duo Frangela and music from a Livewire favorite, McLeet, makes her return to the show. Uh, We were trying to figure out what we thought our theme or our thread for this week's episode should be, something that kind of bonds together the ideas that all the different guests uh, are interested in, and we came up with one, and it was, well, take a listen to this, live from the stage at the Alberta Street Pub in Portland, Oregon. Uh, our theme uh, for the show this week is the morning after, Ooh. right? The morning after has very ominous implications. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, like it's never, it could be a good morning. I mean, it could be the morning after you won the lottery. Right, right. Or the morning after you got a really good leather jacket at half price. Right. Uh, the, the best thing that can happen in life is you make plans with someone and then you realize you don't want to go, and then they cancel the plans right uh, before you can. It could be the morning after that happens. Oh, yeah. But when we hear the morning after, we all just think, ooh, what did I do? <laughs> I read this article uh, that, that said if you are trying to kind of fix your life, a way to do it is to just start getting up at 5 in the morning. Oh, God. <laughs> and I started doing it, and I have been doing it. It is totally working. No. Yes. I, I don't believe you. This is a true story. <laughs> Have you noticed, do I seem more rest, more, more rested, more refreshed, more present? You always seem very... Uh... All of that was a total fake up wow. until this episode. And it's, so what, when did you normally get up before? 11, 12. 
It was kind of a moving target. I would start thinking about getting up at eight or nine. It would depend, honestly, if my wife was home or not. So this is a quarter more of the day yes. that you've added to your life. And a lot of people have to get up at 5 a.m. just to do their normal job or take care of their family or whatever. But the point of this article was if you can figure out a way to get up well before you really have to do anything, that time of reflection and just kind of not being rushed through your day will pay off. I have found that I'm getting so much done by like noon. I'm, I've cleared my list. By two, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> I understand so many senior citizen food-related specials. Yeah, what time is dinner yeah. now? And it doesn't help that it's right at this time of year, it gets dark at like three in the afternoon. Yeah. If I'm up at 6.30, I'm like, this was a real barn burner. <laughs> Do you? Are you going to bed much earlier now oh that you're Oh my God, so much earlier. Like... <laughs> 8.45 at the latest. So, what was the... F and I'm loving it. Really? Yes. How long have you been doing this? A week and a half. What was the first day like? It was, it was actually... It was fine. I realized that getting up for me... And I, everybody's different, but I, getting up is... I really hate it for about 45 seconds. Mm. And then it's okay. I think the difference between being a morning person and not a morning person is how long that period of discomfort lasts. Mm -hmm. I think I'm actually a morning person. I never really knew it because I never pushed through that 45 <laughs> seconds. I'm not kidding. Like now that I learned I can overcome that, I'm like, this is a whole new side of myself I'm discovering. I think we have to check back in with you in like a month and see what your, what your wake up time is before I adapt this into yes. my own practices. <laughs> I think that's an excuse because you don't want to have to get up Hell at 5 no, in the morning. Hell no, I do not. Is that why you pursued life as a writer? Yeah. Well, you know, all the writers talk about is how they get up at 4.30 in the morning and write. So you yeah. have to hide the fact that you don't. That you don't do that. You're like, oh, yes. Yeah, I was really, I was up, you know, but really I just wake up and um, I go, I check sales online and <laughs> then I go back to bed. <laughs> you hear about like Stephen King used to write, you know, in a laundry room in his house when he was working, I think for a school district or something. John Grisham would yeah. get to his law office like at five in the morning and start writing. That's not your process? No, the theory is that there's like a, a like a kind of weird fugue state that you're in where your creative juices, there's no uh, impediment to them. So you roll straight out of bed and just start typing. And there's there's more mo mojo in, in that. Uh, actually, that's a perfect segue into our first guest because that is, if you were hungover, that's actually kind of a flow state that's right. that, is, that is described in this book we're going to tell you about. The person about to come on stage has had more excruciating morning afters than really any one person should endure uh, doing research for his new book. It's called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for the Cure. Please welcome Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl to Livewire. <laughs> Shaughnessy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, congratulations on the book. It is, it's, uh, it's fascinating, and it's getting so much attention. The New York Times wrote a big review of it. Uh, you were interviewed on uh, All Things Considered. Now you're here in this dimly lit bar with us, which is the height <laughs> of media the fame. Point. This is the high point. Why do you think there's been so much interest? Are we all, have we all been just walking around miserably hungover <laughs> and like needed the cure? Well, I don't think I even realized when I started researching this book that this book had never been written, if you know what I mean. The book about hangovers uh, just was not there. So I guess we needed it. And you needed it, which we'll get, <laughs> we'll get into uh, in a minute here. But let's start with the basics. Physically, what is happening to us when we are feeling hungover? Okay. Um, it's complicated, and I will try to condense it. Um, 
most people think it has a lot to do with dehydration. It does, but that's not really helpful to know that. Because if it, if it just had to do with dehydration, you could roll out of bed and yeah. chug a pint of water and feel better. And not but, throw it up, Yeah, as I've done many that, times. That doesn't work. And yeah. one of the reasons that doesn't work is that when you're chugging that glass of water, all of your cells in your body are inflamed. Uh, a lot of a hangover has to do with inflammation. And that includes all of the cells in your organs. And when they are inflamed, uh, they become rigid, and then they can't absorb water. So no matter how much water you're pouring into your system, it's just going right through. Um, and one of the reasons that inflammation is such a, is a big part of a hangover has to do with our own immune systems. The inflammation is a, a product of our own immune system fighting the toxicity. Most of the symptoms we feel are actually our own bodies trying to defend themselves. And then you also talk in the book about the sort of metaphysical hangover. What do you mean by that? Oh, I, I think anybody who's ever felt it knows what I mean by that. <laughs> um, that is the great abyss where the world and your own life seems impossible. <laughs> I guess uh, I could Happy go New on Year, everyone. On about this. Uh, I think how I describe it uh, in the beginning of the book is it's that moment when you roll over in bed onto something that feels like a fish and then realize it's your soul. <laughs> right. This is this is the kind of collision of the physiological things and then the psychological yeah. uh, sort of awareness that you probably made some poor decisions or it didn't have to go like things didn't have to go where they went the yeah, previous night yeah, except except without the probably i, I think it's <laughs> like the, this certainty that you have made the universe worse <laughs> i guess and that can make you feel sicker when you're hungover the shame <laughs> it doesn't can... make you feel better <laughs> how is big pharma not solved this problem yet it seems like there's a lot of money in yep. it and I mean, I, one of the things I was struck by in reading the book was you might be the world's expert on this, at least as lay people <laughs> go. Like there are some scientists, but you are now probably like if you pass away, most of our hangover related knowledge goes with you. Well, no, I, I wrote a book. <laughs> Is that how books work? Yeah. yeah. I'm a little hungover right now, so you'll have to forgive yeah. me. So, uh, it's, okay, fine. But okay. what I mean is, but, uh, I get it. What I, what I guess where I'm going with this is, you definitely learned so much about this topic. I mean, yeah. it, and how is it that, yeah, you know, one of these big pharmaceutical companies hasn't just put some energy towards this mm -hmm. just to make money, if mm -hmm. nothing else? Yeah, I don't have a great answer for that. It, it's one of the conundrums that I was trying to figure out through researching the book, and the, 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 that took me almost ten years to answer a lot of these questions. Um, I do figure that throughout history, uh, there before Big Pharma existed even, um, there was a reticence within the medical communities uh, for hundreds of years to even bother because A, doctors are necessarily busy, um, and also the answer seemed quite obvious, like just don't drink, you idiot, you know? <laughs> but I think that uh, that's only part of it. Because um, obviously, there, this is a malady that that has existed for so long, and there should be 
some research into it, and yet there has been so little. I don't really have a great answer for you. I think that it may come down to some sort of um, survival mechanism buried deep in, in, in our DNA saying, don't cure this thing, because yeah. if you do, society will fall into ruins. Right. <laughs> you, know? you sure tried to cure it, and in fact, I think you, th you think you've hit upon something, which I want to talk about after this break. Sure. But we first have to take a quick pause. This is Livewire from PRI, Luke Burbank, with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. His latest book is Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for the Cure. We will be back with more Livewire in just a moment. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Based in Portland, Oregon, Fully is an amazing company that sells and distributes things that will help you feel healthier while you are being productive doing your work. How do I know this? Well, because I use a Jarvis standing desk from Fully when I am on stage recording Livewire. That's right. I can set that thing at any different height that works for me in that moment. It keeps the blood flowing, keeps uh, me feeling engaged. I think you can hear the results, my friends, coming through the radio and the podcast. If you would like to stay healthy and productive while you're being productive at your work, whether it's at home or in the office, you got to check out what the folks at Fully are doing. Go to Fully.com slash Livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash Livewire. They've also got the Cooper Standing Desk Converter. That gives you the ability to set your desk at any height you want as well. And just uh, figure out a spot that works for you. I promise it'll make a difference in your, in your work productivity and how good you'll feel at the end of the day. I know it has for me. I also use the TikTok stool when I'm at home doing all of my uh, radio show writing projects. Uh, it's made such a difference for me and for our whole Livewire staff, and I know you're going to have the same experience. So again, find out what Fully has got going on by heading over to Fully, that's F-U-L-L-Y, dot com slash Livewire. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. We're at the Alberta Street Pub in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. His book is Hungover, The Morning After, and One Man's Quest for uh, the Cure. You, uh, throughout this book, are just trying anything and everything to <laughs> fix your hangovers, which yeah. you are coming by honestly in the book. <laughs> like, you are really, this is immersive journalism. Um, you went to Vegas and got this kind of crazy IV drip among other things that was it's sort of pitched as like a cure. I actually know the first time I heard about this was I uh, f friends with a guy who was a football player, like an NFL football player. And he, this was years ago. He was like, Oh yeah. If you don't have someone bringing bags over in the morning, you're not doing Vegas right. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and this is this whole crazy thing of being yeah. kind of injected with all this reviving stuff. What, yeah. How does this work? And did it work for you? Uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's something called a Myers cocktail, which uh, I go into a little bit in the book uh, that uh, um, is the result of some research done by a Dr. Myers. But it's uh, basically some vitamins, magnesium, some amino acid supplements that uh, you would put into your... Uh, system through an IV drip, and it's it's been a pretty common way to treat a hangover for for a while now. Um, I really put this to the test by um, not just over imbibing, but my idea was that I would go. Uh, after over imbibing the next morning to this place called Hangover Heaven, where this hangover doctor does this IV drip uh, on you. Uh, but then I would do things after that 
that you would never, ever want to do with a hangover to really test if it worked. That's the real true measure of a hangover. It's not can you lie in bed mm -hmm. all Saturday and lick your wounds. It's like, can you host a public radio show? For example. I mean, if I'm example. thinking of just a random <laughs> just example. Just totally random. But things yeah. that, like, when you have to do things that are hard right. and you're hungover, that's the real measure. So I made a list of what I thought would be the worst things. And then what I ended up doing is I, I drove a, a Ferrari race car around a 10-turn track. Um, I, I flew a, um, a fighter jet doing, um, like, hammer dives in and, and a mock dogfight, but a, a real jet. Uh, up in the real air, um, I shot bazookas. Uh, I went to a I went to a mariachi concert, <laughs> um, and I also jumped off the stratosphere, which is the uh, highest freestanding building west or east yes. of the Mississippi, something it, of the Mississippi. It's upsettingly uh, tall. It's very tall. Uh, what was interesting here Luke, is that I stumbled into what I think might be one of the possible cures out there, which is that when I jumped off the stratosphere, the immense surge of adrenaline seemed to just blow the hangover right out of me. Uh, and then I started doing a bit more research into adrenaline and uh, what scientists call this fast sobering phenomenon, whereby you know a drunken individual after a surge of adrenaline can suddenly display the characteristics of a downright sober person. <laughs> um, I'm curious, what was your relationship with uh, booze before you wrote the book? And then, um, you know, sort of throughout the book and then even after. And were you, were you just professionalizing <laughs> an already kind of raging habit of drinking? I say this, by the way, as a person who literally has a brass plaque at a bar in Seattle, the Baranoff, that says Luke Burbank, professional drinker. Nice, nice. So, like, you're among friends. Yeah, but was yeah, this yeah. you just trying to make a living off of something you were already doing that was probably not a great idea? <laughs> well, I actually came across a quote, I can't remember uh, um, who said it, but I think it's in the book, that uh, although many have tried, none have successfully uh, drunk for a living. And I think... I think I just wanted to put that to the test. And it sounds like you you have tried to put that to the test. Well, too, right? in my life. And also to quote Tyrion Lannister, being drunk all the time isn't easy. Otherwise, everyone would do it. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, certainly, I think the closer that I got to the cure, uh, or at least the cure that worked for me, the more complicated my relationship with alcohol became. For sure. I would give you that. Um, you know, one of, uh, I think, the core... The ideas of the book is be careful what you wish for, you know. Um, to have the ability to drink uh, to excess without fear of the morning after is um, a complicated and perhaps dangerous thing. And, uh, and I discovered that personally, for sure. Because you hit upon this combination of, of things that for you really did kind of do the trick. Yes, yes. Uh, I, for, for legal reasons, I'm not supposed to say, uh, take these and go do this. But I can say, I took these and it worked. Okay. But I mean, so, but to your point, do you want to unleash that on the universe? I don't know. <laughs> and <laughs> I really don't. And I think it's sort of the, ch the last chapter of the book is about that yeah. question. Do I want to? Um, because what happens if... Uh, that warning system is no longer there. Uh, now, we don't really heed that warning system that closely, but I think that we may 
do it a lot more if the warning system isn't there at all, and then everybody's plastered all the time and society falls into ruins, right? Um, and so, yeah, do I want to uh, unleash that? I'm not sure. I did put the ingredients in the book, and I did uh, sort of suggest how it could be taken or how I take it. So I guess I, I if enough people buy the book, Hell will be unleashed. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but that'd be a real good news, uh, bad yeah, news my, my situation for you. My publisher's not going to be happy. I said that. I don't. <laughs> good think. news. You're number one on Amazon. Bad <laughs> yeah. news. Denver is on fire. Yeah. yeah. Shaughnessy Bishop Stall, everyone. The book is hungover. The oh, morning yeah. after, and one man's Thank quest you. for the cure. All right, Shaughnessy, here at Livewire, we can't really do, like, feats of physical strength uh, because it doesn't translate to radio. This is, you know, kind of an audio medium. But we can test our guests uh, with the ultimate test of their mind, which is why we have a little segment we like to call Let's Get Quizzical. Okay, uh, your uh, book uh, covers a lot of folk remedies for hangovers throughout the ages. You tried a bunch of these, but we thought it'd be interesting to quiz you on some other old school remedies okay. that actually work. Uh, you have to pick that out of the ones that we just made up. I think I understand. Okay. Uh, which everyday item can you grind up and add to your shampoo to get rid of dandruff? Okay. Is it A, peppercorns? Is it B, your dog's heartworm medication? Is it C, aspirin? Or is it D, packing peanuts? Which item can you grind up and add to your shampoo to get rid of dandruff? This is proven to work. It's got to be the first one. I already forget what it was. but Peppercorns. Yeah. Oh, you are 100% wrong. Oh, good. It's actually aspirin, which uh, contains a type of acid, uh, which is also an anti-acne ingredient, uh, which sloughs off dead skin. You can use a mortar and pestle to crush up the aspirin and add it to your shampoo, lather it, leave it on for 10 minutes, and it is known to cure dandruff. I, I'm ashamed and humiliated now. Well, maybe you don't suffer from dandruff, and this is not relevant to your experience. <laughs> okay, you Although aspirin is. So <laughs> yeah, <good>. right? <laughs> so In order to get rid of warts without, <laughs> without going to a doctor, which household item can be used? Is it A, Used printer cartridge, which you rub directly on the wart every morning. Is it rubbing shriveled up lime wedges on the wart? Is it putting duct tape on the wart? It's duct tape. You are absolutely yeah, I, right. Wow. I do. I do. Yeah, Have you dealt with warts in your life? No, no. But it works for blisters, so I figure it would work for warts. Like I, I I'm, I'm it, Canadian. I, I hike in the mountains with duct tape on my feet all the time. <laughs> That's what we do. You've confirmed every stereotype we have about Canadians. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, the duct tape suffocates the wart. So you cover it with duct tape, the wart. The virus, uh, after 28 days, has been suffocated. It dies. It falls off. The downside is you're walking around with duct tape on your body for about a month. <laughs> um, yeah, but I got that one right. That's, you got that that's one right. That's all that yeah. matters. There you go. <laughs> all politics is local. Yeah. How about this? If you have a toothache, what should you chew on to fix a toothache? Oh. A paper towel soaked in olive oil, a chocolate brownie, 
wax from a melted candle or a clove of garlic? Oh, jeez. Well, aspirin works for this, too. Right. <laughs> not, not, okay, not okay, one. It would be okay, too okay, easy. Okay, okay. I think garlic, but I like that olive oil one, too. I'm going to go with... <laughs> there is no lifeline. You cannot phone away. a friend. Okay. I'm going to go with garlic. You are 100% right. Shaughnessy, nice out of work. Three. Uh, yeah, uh, garlic. Uh, you make a garlic paste with salt. You apply it four times a day for 30 minutes. Uh, plan on spending this work. time alone. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine the poor, the poor soul. They got duct tape on their foot. <laughs> garlic reek in their hair. Reek of garlic. <laughs> Everything is fixed uh, physically, but I'm very lonely. <laughs> All right, last one. Okay. Which item usually found rolling around in the bottom of your fridge drawer can be used to um, uh, help with a spider bite? Is it the nine celery stalks that are left after you used a bunch of celery for a recipe? Is it that one sad potato that's been in there since the 1970s? Is it that bag of pre-made salad that is thrown out unopened exactly one month after being purchased? For spider bite. For spider bite. Uh, I'm just, or is it that yam? Oh. There's a fourth. Ooh. Yeah, there's a fourth, and it's that That's yam. That yam. Which one of those can be rubbed on a spider butt? I don't think you. Um, I'm going to go oh, potato. Gosh. Yeah. Shaughnessy, when you're right, you're right. Oh, man. You cut it in half. You tape it onto a spider bite. <laughs> duct tape. With duct tape. You've got some duct tape around <laughs> at this point. Uh, po potato peels contain compounds that are anti-inflammatory. This is, you know, yeah. it turns out inflammation right is really what's bringing us down on multiple levels it's, at this point. It's true. It's true. Shaughnessy, Bishop Stahl, everybody. Check out the new book. Thanks for coming on Livewire. Hey, it's Luke. Uh, do not go anywhere because coming up we have Dan Savage, who has a love-hate relationship with the internet. You know, they talked about the end of net neutrality and they kept saying that it would end the internet as we know it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see the upside. That's just around the corner here on Livewire from PRI. And let me just mention, if you would like to hear a longer and more explicit version of our conversation with Dan Savage, because if you've read his stuff, you know a lot of it is legally not something we can put on the radio. Uh, go check out our podcast of this episode, which has a fuller conversation with Dan, with lots of things we are allowed to play on the podcast. That is over at livewireradio.org. Sweater season is here, but before it's time to unpack the knitwear, Alaska Airlines offers one more taste of summer with nonstop flights from Portland to Maui, Hawaii Island, Kauai, and Oahu. Aloha, Alaska. More at alaskaair.com. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. We're talking about the morning after this week. And God, I wish I could have been there the morning after our next guests met for the first time. Because Francis Callier and Angela V. Shelton were so simpatico that they formed the comedy duo Frangela, which is based on combining their names. Get it, Francis and Angela? Uh, they are so funny. We're so excited to have them here on Livewire. You've seen and heard them in a whole bunch of places. They've got a new daytime talk show called Me Time with Frangela. Please welcome them, the two, the only, Frangela, to Livewire. 
What's up? Yes, I'm Francis Callier, and it's my very best friend. I'm Angela V. Shelton we... of the Detroit Shelton. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and we are Frangela. We're so excited to be here at Livewire. Thank you so much. Yes. We rode up in here on a big, fat, beautiful blue wave. Oh, yeah. That's how we got here, y'all. They tried to fool us. Yes, they did. After the election. Remember, they, all day the pundits were like, well, it wasn't really a wave. Or oh, was it? Or oh, was it? <laughs> Have y'all been to a beach? Right. Because I believe y'all got wet in some democracy. Yes, you did. What? And wait, two yes. more years, it is so on. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know yes. it seems like a long time. Yeah. Days have gotten very long, haven't they? Yes, they have. A minute is hard. Mm -hmm. I think white people finally know what it's like to be black a yes. little bit. Long black minutes. Yes. Cause so you know what, I'm gonna tell you something. This is the first time I've ever seen white people mad. Mad like this, like black oh. man. Like, okay, this is the thing for black, we're black, if you didn't know that radio right. people, we're black. Yes. Um, and, and here's the thing, we're fans of white people. Big fans. Give yourselves a hand, white folk, yes, wherever you are. Yes, yes. I know because of that ancestry stuff now, a lot of you don't think you're white anymore, but you know, whatever, you yeah. are. Yes, <laughs> So yeah. yeah, but we're big, huge fans. In fact, we, we have white friends. Yes. We both do. Mm -hmm. um, we've got, even got white people in our families. Yes, we do. Both of us do. Yes. We even eat their um, that green bean casserole you guys like so much. Mm -hmm. We celebrate all 11 months of White History Month. Yes. We do. So we're huge fans. Yes. We're huge fans. But we're very excited because this election, y'all, everybody voted. Pretty yes. much. I mean, we got some people we got to talk to again. Yes. Clearly. But it's good. Yes. Because we meant this. We threatened and we meant it. If y'all don't vote, we're going to pull this country over. Yes, we will. Because here's the thing. The reality is, okay, that some of y'all going to have to, you know, run for some offices. All right? So talk amongst yourselves. Decide. 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 Look under your chair. Whoever finds a red ball, you have to run for president next. Mm -hmm. Okay? They're trying to take things away from us, things that we need, like health care. All right? This is what's hysterical to us about how this went down. You should never have let us got a taste of it. Yes. Because we didn't know how delicious health care was. Yes. Once we got a taste of that health care, we were like, mmm. Mm. Have you, mmm. Oh, Girl. have you tasted this health care? Wait, have you tasted this? I'm not sick, but I went to the doctor for an exam. It's what? delicious. It's delicious. Mmm. Mm. We are not giving. You can't give people the thing you want to take from them. No, no, we cannot go back. Because let me tell you something. I did not have health care for a very long time. No, we're actors and performers, so we made choices that... You know, we're bad financially. Yes, yes. So if so. I needed some health care, I would have to go over to Angela's house and she would have to take out her doggy health care book yeah. and make some decisions about what was going on inside me. You understand what I'm saying? You know that book you get so you don't take your dog to the vet so they can charge you $300 to say, oh, he needs some water. That book. Yes. All I can tell you for sure about Frances is that she currently does not have worms. I don't have worms. <laughs> That's right. We cannot go back, y'all. We okay? are not, and we're not going to, are we? We're, we're not, not going, going back. back. We're, we're not, not going, going back. back. Thank we you, Frangela. Thank you, Frangela, ladies and gentlemen. How did you two meet? We met at Second City in Chicago. We lived in the same buildings. So we met on the stairs, and she's like, you want to go see a movie? And we did. And here's the thing. We talked during the entire movie. We are those black women. Yeah. We are those black women. And like, just a word of advice, don't even try to stop them. No. Mm -mm. <laughs> because all that's going to happen is we're going to involve you in the conversation. Yes. Are you, are you guys, in some way, 
like tired of the Frangela thing because you're both performers. You're very talented. It's not a gimmick. You happen to combine your names yes. for, for the purposes of when you perform together. I'm sure everybody asks you about it all the time. Have you had moments where you're like, that was a terrible idea? Well, you know, it actually wasn't our idea. So oh. if it's terrible, we don't take the hit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because the thing is, we are actually... we. Really are best friends. We're best friends. And we spend a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And then we talk on the phone when we get done with our time together physically. Um, (laughs) So so the thing is, whenever we've worked together, people, would they never know who's who. So, I mean, my shrink calls me Francis. And I'm Angela, I think. So people would go, Angie, Fran, Fran, which one are you? And then one day a guy went, Frangela. And we were like, that's it. Yeah. We'll just do that because yeah. it's easier. Yeah. Okay, so this is a this is your, a lifestyle for you, being mm-hmm. really good friends, performing together. I mean, are there times when you need a little time apart, though, as close no. as you are? No. Well, when we have those times, we call each other and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. And then maybe we go to lunch to just discuss how we need more time mm-hmm. alone. Like, we come out here to make you laugh, but we make each other laugh harder. That's so my goal. we enjoy each other's time That's always together even more. Make each other laugh. Yeah. If I can make Francis laugh, then I know you guys are going to have a good time. Yeah. You know, because she's sick of my tired stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing. It's not, I think sometimes people think that that means we don't disagree. Right. And we do. We certainly do disagree. We have different points of view on a number of things. We do have strategies for when, because there's times when you have to tell your friends something you know they're not going to want to hear. Yeah. And so <laughs> one of the strategies we have that we will share with you. Yes. Um, feel free to borrow it. Mm-hmm. Is like if, if I have something I need to say to Francis, and this is how I'll do it. I'll call and be like, hey, Francis, um, this Angela, can I talk to the Francis who does yoga every morning, <laughs> who's, who's up on her meditations? Can I talk to her for a minute? And then I'll say, hold on, I have to go get her. She's doing her sun salutations. And I'll put and down the phone. And she literally does the sound effect of like walking. Like, yes. <laughs> and I come back to the phone and I go, namaste, this is Francis. Hey, I was just wondering if we could work on being on time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I would say something like, I hear you, I see you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk to the other Francis about it. You know, yes. you know how she is. How she is. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, that's how we, what we do. Uh, you guys have a, have a daytime talk show. There are, like, about 7,340 of those currently. Yes. yes. What are you guys trying to bring to it that's not already being, as they say in the movie, Broughton? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things is that it's exactly what you're saying. Everything has been done, but we bring our authentic selves to it. We bring our perspectives and our comedy, and we put it through the frangela machine. And you're not getting that. You're not getting two best black friends, women, who are out there who will say anything. That is not out there. Frangela, everyone. Francis Callier, Angela V. Shelton. Hey there, LiveWire listeners. It's Luke. Before we get to our interview with Dan Savage, just a warning that, well, if you've heard or read Dan's stuff, I don't think you even need this warning. But for those of you new to the Dan Savage experience, I want to mention that this segment contains some explicit language and also some themes that might not be appropriate for the younger people in the room or in the car or nearby you. Uh, so uh, we just want to give you a heads up on that so you can uh, so you can know that going into this, what we think is a very lively, very entertaining, but maybe not appropriate for everyone, chat with Dan Savage. All right, let's get into the show. 
This is Livewire from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. We're talking about the morning after this week from the Alberta Street Pub in Portland. Our next guest is famous for giving advice about how to handle the morning after. He's also an expert on the night before. And even the, wow, this is actually happening <laughs> part of things. In addition to writing uh, his sex and relationship advice column, Savage Love, he's also the author of four books and the host of the Savage Love podcast. Please welcome Dan Savage back to Livewire. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the show. How are hey, you? Good. Thank you for having me back. Um, you, uh, you had Stormy Daniels on the Savage Lovecast recently. Uh, were you nervous to talk to her? I was so excited to talk to her because I, I admire her so much. Everything that we're seeing right now with Cohen's plea and it coming out about Russia, that's all her. That was her that forced those issues that are now yeah. resulting in the trouble that the Trump administration is in. And she's not going to get the credit she deserves because A, she's a woman, B, she's a porn star. Um, but, you know, she wrote her book, she wrote her memoir, and she's been interviewed in a lot of places. And everybody wants to ask her about you-know-who and about you-know-who's you-know-what. And so I reached out to her when she was going to be in Seattle, and I was just like, I don't want to hear about any of that. I don't want to ask you about... Donald Trump. I just want you to come and sit in the chair with me, next to me, and take give sex advice. And she was so excited, and she was so good at it. She's such a great sex advice. I think I've created a, a rival. People are like, she should have her own show. And I'm like, no, 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 there's too many <laughs> sex advice shows. Let me, like, I don't want to crowd the field anymore. It's already crowded. But she's going to end up hosting something. I, I, I listened to that episode. I thought she was great. I thought she was very body positive for somebody who's worked in an industry that's not often about body positivity and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and just smart about relationships, not just smart about the mechanics of sex. Stormy Dan, if you follow her on Twitter, and you should follow her on Twitter, she's really smart and body slams people who deserve it in such an entertaining but also self-effacing way. I am so in love with Stormy Daniels. I'm questioning my sexuality as I sit here. Wow. Um, we're not typically a political show, but I do think this is something that I, I would think you would have kind of an interesting uh, perspective on. Do you feel like liberals are... Uh, a wee bit hypocritical about the sort of Stormy Daniels thing uh, when compared to, let's say, Bill Clinton and the fact that when uh, Bill Clinton was 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 being impeached, a lot of people were making the argument, well, it's private life, it's sex, it doesn't matter, why, why shame him, why shame Monica Lewinsky? Um, and now it's like every some of those same people are very mad that the current president is having dalliances. How do you be sort of like sex positive and also hold him to account? Well... Um, that is a common response to my questions. <laughs> well, what Donald Trump has been accused of by scores of women is sexual assault. Bill Clinton has also been accused right. of sexual assault. The argument with Monica and Bill, the impeachment of Bill Clinton, was about that relationship, which at the time, and for many years after, Monica Lewinsky herself described as consensual. She was a consenting adult. They were consenting adults. Uh, so there's a difference between that particular relationship that was the subject of the debate and the impeachment in 98 and what Donald Trump has been accused by scores of women in doing, but also what Donald Trump did with Stormy Daniels, which was to pay her weeks before an election for her silence using campaign funds, which is a crime. So to what, you... A blowjob is not a crime. Even a blowjob in the Oval Office is not a crime. 
Uh, there's a lot of, you know, on the left, there's this debate about power dynamics. And, you know, the president is an infinitely more powerful person than a White House intern. And I, I, I see that, but who's supposed to suck the president's dick then? If Bill Clinton wants a blowjob, he's supposed to have Jimmy Carter around to the Oval <laughs> Office? Because only a president can suck off a president? Do we really want someone in the White House who is never, ever ejaculating? That seems someone likelier to send a missile when a missile doesn't need to be sent than someone who is getting his sack drained on the regular. Let's do this. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk more with, with Dan Savage from the uh, Savage Love cast and from Savage Love and from It Gets Better and from so many other things. Uh, this is Livewire from PRI. We're at the Alberta Street Pub in Portland with a very excited crowd. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Hey, special thanks this episode to Amanda Oborn of Portland, Oregon, and Gwen and Vince Alvarez of Milwaukee, Oregon. Amanda, Gwen, and Vince are part of the Livewire member community. And, uh, well, all they've been doing, my friends, is making this show possible for everybody else by donating on a monthly basis to Livewire. Livewire is a nonprofit. We don't have any big, uh, well-heeled, well-funded operation writing us a check week in and week out. We're just doing this uh, by raising money from you, the Livewire listeners, and from folks like Amanda, Gwen, and Vince. So thank you so much to them for supporting Livewire. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. We have Elena Passarella here, also Dan Savage from the Savage Love podcast and Savage Love. And It Gets Better, which you and your husband, uh, Terry, co-founded. And you and Terry have now arrived... <laughs> At a kind of interesting point, which is you were some of the first, at least widely known, uh, gay men, married gay men to adopt a child. And now you're in the first wave of gay married empty nesters. That's right. Uh, How's that going? 20 years ago, uh, almost 21 years ago, my husband and I adopted our son here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and he just announced to us one day, I'm uh, going to put all my shit in the car and drive to LA with my friends and go live in LA. And we were like, okay. He gave us like 48 hours notice. <laughs> and then we had the tearful goodbye on the front porch. And now we are empty gay nesters. It's very strange. Um, it was time. He was 20. Uh, so it was time. But it, it is really odd to like wake up at five in the morning or six in the morning <laughs> every morning for 20 years. You know, if you parent, often right. you get into this groove of waking up super early, uh, and then your kid disappears, but you still, or your kid like grows out of needing you at six in the morning, but you can't stop waking up at six in the morning. And so now you wake up at six in the morning, and there's no morose teenager uh, <laughs> sleeping until four in the afternoon that makes you wonder why the hell you got up at six in the morning and what for. And, and it's 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 interesting. It's it's I don't know what the hell we're supposed to do with the rest of our lives. I mean, we're middle-aged gay men. We're supposed to go to the gym, I think, <laughs> with the rest of our lives. But that's uh, about it. Yeah. Like, what, I mean, are, have you started filling your time with, with anything else? Have you picked up any hobbies? Like, what are you, what are you doing with yourself? Uh, picked up a few hobbies, a few other guys. Sure. <laughs> um, Let yeah. me ask you about that. Because something you write about a lot and talk about a lot, which is the more fluid nature uh, in a lot, a lot of cases of the relationships that gay men have in terms of partners and bringing other people into the relationship or having open relationships. Is that, do you think that's the future of heterosexual relationships as well? Or is there something fundamentally different about how all this is working? I think, you know, 
gay people took marriage from you guys, and you guys you could have should it. take some things from us. Brunch, sit-ups. Um, also, <laughs> monogamy as, as an opt-in system, that, that monogamy is a choice that a couple makes, not uh, a default setting. And, and so it's freely, in, but, but consciously chosen. Um, and that was always the case in gay relationships. You would get into gay relationships and you'd have this conversation about, so are we, you know, we're boyfriends, are we gonna be monogamous or not? And that was then a whole other conversation. And gay people are just generally good at having those conversations, because you can't be a gay person without having a difficult conversation. And as I like to say, if you've looked your mother in the eyes and told her you put penises in your mouth, looking your boyfriend in the eyes and telling him anything else is not as scary <laughs> as that conversation you had with your mother often when you were 15 years old and really scared and vulnerable. And so I don't think that straight people should all be not monogamous. Not all gay people are not monogamous, but monogamy should be something that people choose. So we have fewer people attempting to do it who are terrible at it, who it's not the choice they would make if they could make a choice, because that's bad for monogamous relationships. And what we have in a culture where monogamy is the expectation is a lot of people attempting to do it who can't. And those people wind up hurting people who are good at monogamy, who want monogamy, and so promoting a culture where you can be monogamous or not is not to destroy all monogamous relationships. It's to get people who aren't good at that out of monogamous relationships so they stop screwing them up. Stop bringing the pool down with your pre-existing non-monogamy. Like I often get, to, people will attack me and say that I don't think anybody should be monogamous and that's just not true. I think that people who want to be monogamous should be monogamous. I think people should be realistic about monogamy. Um, it is literally the only thing humans do where we have as the only standard of success, perfection. If you screw up once, you're terrible at monogamy. If you, you, know, you can burn an omelet and still be the world's greatest chef. You can fall down snowboarding and still be Sean White. And they don't come for your Olympic medals if you fall down snowboarding and you're Sean White. But if you are monogamous for 50 years and you had an affair once that you regretted and you shut up about it uh, and never did it again, but your spouse or your kids find out about it 20 years later, you were terrible at monogamy, you never loved that person, and you're a monster. And that's crazy. That, that, that we do that to people. I think if you're with somebody for 50 years and they only cheated on you once, they were really good at monogamy. <laughs> and to say that, you know, I get in trouble when I say that, but it, what, I, what I'm doing is like helping people who've been cheated on save their monogamous relationship. If they can forgive and get past it and not understand an infidelity as always a relationship extinction level event, then I am saving monogamous relationships by encouraging people who wish to have them to be realistic. It's less binary, essentially. Yes. On the subject of which, that's another thing that you guys got into on the Stormy Daniels interview uh, on Savage Lovecast was uh, somebody was saying that a friend of theirs uh, is now uses the pronoun they, them. This person that identified as female, I think, previously. Um, uh, do you have any helpful tips and tricks for people who are maybe older or maybe just haven't experienced a lot being around a lot of the new pronouns that are being used? Well, you could always use proper names. <laughs> and then never have to worry about pronouns. It's a yeah. good dodge. My friends who are trans and non-binary, if somebody screws up, they will like have a sense of humor about it, correct them, and hope they do better next time and not blow up. You but know, some people are just looking to blow up. I have found that that does happen a little bit online. We spend so much of our time online, and people are their worst 
selves online and we see people blow up and be angry online and then it makes us nervous in real life but there's something about face-to-face eye-to-eye human contact where people want to de-escalate conflicts and they will be more gracious and understanding because they can see your humanity and you can see theirs because you're standing right there in front of each other but online that same person who is gracious and face-to-face may be a monster because the internet is a great disinhibitor and it brings out the worst in people You know, they talked about the end of net neutrality and they kept saying that it would end the internet as we know it. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I see the upside. Like, Donald Trump is president and his FCC. Like, internet probably brought us Donald Trump, Facebook and Twitter and his online presence um, and the Russians gaming uh, and pitting Americans against each other on Facebook. And they were like, oh, that's going to destroy the internet. Who? Was I the only one going... Good. Fuck the internet. (laughs) Bring me back my dead tree papers and my magazine subscriptions and me not walking to the bathroom at four in the morning, holding my phone in front of my face, reading tweets at me from people who hate me at three in the morning. I uh, have this thing on my phone that like you just tell it, okay, I'm going to try to sleep this many hours a night. And I didn't realize till the first night that I went to the bathroom and instinctively grabbed my phone. I got in there. It was three in the morning and it said, no, we're not letting you look at this stuff right now. And I was like, well played phone. This is really good for me because I like. Why do I need to be looking at my phone at three in the morning? I would download that app. I, I would be concerned though if it would lock me out. Also, of pornography. If you had a pornography emergency at three o'clock in the morning, it's not so much locking. It's gently just saying like, "Hey, we're turning off your notifications right now, so you can kind of like focus on rest." The pornography. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I think ultimately what the goal of the app is. I'm just using it for the sleep stuff. Um, you've uh, you've been uh, doing Savage Love for. So long now. How many years? Since 1991. Wow. I get letters from people who are adults who, whose parents were reading me before they were born. And that always freaks me out. I'll get a letter from a 26-year-old who says, oh, my parents were reading your column right after they met. And they're 26, and it just makes me feel old. Maybe your column emboldened the parents in many to, cases, to live their life in such a way that a baby that was screwed created. up their kid, who would then have to write me 26 years later about That's the stuff mom point. and dad are doing. Is there a ceiling uh, in terms of, I don't know, like how long you want to do this and also your age? I mean, you're a very youthful <laughs> guy, but... Like, is there going to be a point when you're 70, 80, 90? Like, does Dr. Ruth have the one job of being very old and still talking about sex? Well, I write a sex and relationship yes. advice column. And I like to think, much like my one of my heroes, Ann Landers, it will be pride from my cold, dead hands one day. <laughs> she basically died at her computer writing her advice column that she'd been writing for 50 years. And that's kind of how I want to go. That or... Uh, a fluke rimming accident, one or the other. <laughs> Dan Savage, everybody. Check Thank out you. the Savage Love cast and Savage Love. <laughs> Our musical guest this hour is making her second appearance on Livewire. Uh, she left us spellbound the first time. Her latest album is When the People Move, The Music Moves To. And her TED Talk, which, by the way, she has one of those, The Unexpected Beauty of Everyday Sounds, has been viewed over 1.2 million times. Please welcome McLeet back to Livewire. Hi. Hi, welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. 
What song are we going to hear, McLee? We're going to hear a song. We're going to play a song for you called I Want to Sing for Them All. And this is like, this is my anthem. All my Ethiopian influences and my American influences put together into one very danceable number. So if you want to shake on in your seats or get up and dance, well, you know, you are more than welcome. And in your car at home, if you're listening to this right now. I mean, safely. Put down the cell phone, stop texting, and do a little chair dancing, too. Word up. This is McLeod, everybody.
And that is McLeet right there. All right, that is going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, Dan Savage, Shaughnessy Bishop-Stahl, Frangela, and McLeet. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Foley, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development and marketing director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our editor is Melanie Sevchenko. And Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom in A. Walker Spring. Elena Passarello is our talented announcer. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. And the on-air mix is by Corey Schreppel. Thanks, as always, to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. And this week, we would be remiss if we didn't thank Darlene Ireland of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or get our newsletter, toddle on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International.